I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them handy, to um, the Gospel of John. And that is uh, the ninth chapter. And we're going to spend a few minutes in this chapter because it's a fairly long one and we're going to read the entire thing. It's one story and this is what John records for us. As he, that is Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash. And so I went and washed. And then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed. And now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now? Or who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. Second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. When they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, 
You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. On a foggy morning in 1952, Florence Chadwick dove into the icy water off Catalina Island in California. She hoped to become the very first woman to be able to swim from that island all the way to the mainland. She had already become the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions. But after 15 hours, much of it in the cold, in the numbing cold, she asked to be taken out of the water. She told a reporter that interviewed her shortly afterwards and said, I'm not making any excuses, but if I could have just seen the land that was ahead, I would have been all right. I would have made it. If we can just see the land ahead, we might have the strength together to keep on going. We know we can't see the future. And yet, we also know that without a vision, people die. Can you see the land ahead? Do you know where you're headed? Throughout the Old Testament, God continued to point his people toward a promised land. He said it's there. In the New Testament, God points us back over and over to his kingdom, to the kingdom of God. To get there, that is to get to our destination, the important question on the table is, can you see it? Can you picture it? Can you visualize it? One of Jesus' most common miracles throughout the New Testament Gospels was the healing of the blind. You see, I care in Jesus' day wasn't quite what it is today. And many people had problems seeing. Some were born blind at birth, but more people developed a blindness over their lifetime. At the same time, blindness or seeing in the New Testament is often a metaphor 
for the spiritual life. They define a movement from darkness to light, from not knowing about God to knowing him, from not being able to see God clearly to being able to see him very clearly, from seeing him where we assume we're going to be seeing him to a place where we didn't imagine he would be at all. Seeing God means increasing our capacity and our awareness and our passion to know God. You see, the process of seeing God more clearly has a name. It's called discernment. Ignatius of Loyola, long time ago, defines discernment as, and I quote, finding God in all things in order to love him and serve him in all things. Every Christian, every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ is called to see ahead. That is, to discern God's leading, to be able to do that both personally and individually, but also to be able to do that together corporately as a family, as the family of God, as the body of Christ. To do that in our life, but also to do it in our faith. To find out where God is leading us and then to follow him. To find out where Jesus is and to get in line. When we know what God wants, the next step is to do what God wants. One opportunity of being in liminal space, that is, in being in between two points, the space, if you will, between the known and the unknown, the space between the past and the future, the, past, the, the space between the old and the new, that interim period, if you will. One of the opportunities and invitations is to just slow down a little bit to be able to come together and to look for the land that awaits us that is ahead. It's an opportunity to, to enter an intentional time of discerning, of discovering what God wants us to do together. It's an opportunity to personally seek God's will, to personally listen for his voice, to personally resolve again to live life in response to what we are hearing God saying. It's an opportunity to seek God's will together as well, to hear his voice together and to live in community in response to what we're hearing God say to us. Now the truth is that discernment is seldom easy. Truth is, because we're human and we're sinful, we're never going to get it exactly perfect. But God calls us to look and to look together for the land, for the future, for the future that he's leading us into. So in John 9, we read about people who are unable to recognize God's voice. They're unable to see where God is even at work. And so they miss the land. They miss God's will. They miss being part of what God is doing among his people. And so Jesus indicts many of the contemporaries, of his contemporaries. He calls them spiritually blind. Sadly, there is a similar blindness that continues to impact our personal and corporate ability to see God's leading and the land that he has laid out before us. 
Scripture reminds us that every one of us has been impacted by sin. And it reminds us that without Jesus, we all would continue to live in the darkness. So in John 9, in the very first verse, the good news is, is that Jesus sees a man. A man blind from birth. Like us. And the bad news is, is that Jesus seems to be the only one in this story who sees. For us, the land ahead. We need to learn to see, to discern what God's will is and to follow it in obedience. So we're going to start a series this morning called Discerning God's Will Together. So we can come together and picture and visualize and reaffirm that land to which God is calling us. We'll start by looking at and seeing the characters in this particular story in John 9. So let's consider them sort of one at a time. Let's talk first about those disciples. You see, these disciples have been following Jesus, and they see this man who has been born blind. But instead of showing him some compassion and some grace and some love, no, they see it as an opening for a theological discussion. Who sinned? Somebody must have sinned. Was it this man who sinned or was it his parents who sinned? And they take sides and they have this debate. Instead, of, however, of using this as an opportunity to see as Jesus sees or to do what Jesus would do in this situation, they treat this blind man as an object lesson. They add injury to insult, if you will, by asking who's to blame for this blindness. Meanwhile, the disciples themselves are caught in a blindness that is far more debilitating than physical blindness. Their belief system, that is, their blindness, will not allow them to see God at work. They're that close, and they still miss him. You see, they understand that, that all of human misfortune must be someone's fault, and it's important to find out who's at fault so they can blame that particular person. In this case, they've come down to two viable options. It's either this man's problem or it's his parents' problem. One of them is at fault. And when they talk to Jesus about it, he says, it's neither. You see, you're not seeing. You're not open to the possibility that this man was born blind so that God's work could be Work through this man so that God could ultimately receive the honor and the glory in his life. That possibility wasn't on the table. It was never considered by them. They were working under a faulty paradigm. That is, they thought it most appropriate to simply point fingers. They were insistent on asking a question, but they were also asking the wrong question. Who's at fault? Who's the problem? Whereas the discerning question always is, what is God doing here? And what should we learn from God? And then how should we respond? Personally and together. See, Jesus isn't saying here that life doesn't have its harsh realities. He's not denying that there is evil in the world. He's not saying that sometimes people aren't at fault. 
He's not saying that sin doesn't have consequences. What Jesus is simply asking here is, did you see? Were you aware? Did you notice how God is at work in what's going on? Are you discerning what God is doing? Are you listening for his voice? Are you involved in his work? The disciples' blindness is a rather sobering reminder to those of us who call ourselves disciples that even when we believe we are walking very close to Jesus, we can still miss his presence. We can still think that we have it right and we're off the mark. It's a sobering reminder of the influential power of the culture in which you and I live, how it can deceive It's a sobering reminder that religion can point us toward Jesus, but at the same time, keep us at a distance. It's a sobering reminder that even those who followed Jesus all of their life can have blind spots when it comes to seeing where God is at work in the world and in life and knowing that land that lies ahead. The disciples. And then there are those neighbors in the story. See, the blind man's neighbors, they had watched him every single day. They'd watched him grow up. They knew his family. Their paradigms, that is, their systems of thought, the boxes in which they put their strongly held ideas, their deep commitment to a certain perspective. A paradigm, for example, is that the world is flat. It wasn't a true paradigm, but people worked on it for for centuries Those paradigms become deeply entrenched in our soul and in our life. And they had never seen a blind man healed. So their paradigm was, if you're blind, you're blind. Blind people don't get to see. So here is this blind man that they recognize, that they have seen grown up, who now can see, and they say can't be the same person. Because blind people never get to see. It's what blindness is and what blindness does. We tend to place things in cognitive boxes so they make sense in our reality. We develop these filters over the years of observing and processing. Blind is blind. And the neighbors say, isn't this the same man that used to sit there and beg? Some claimed he was. Others said, no, just looks like him. He insists, I'm the man. I mean, LOL. Isn't this so sad if it wasn't so serious? The point is, people only see what people are ready to see. People are only able to see what they want to see. People are only able to see what they expect to see. Don't confuse people with facts. Just messes up their paradigms and their perspectives. Those are the neighbors. Then there are the Pharisees. The blind man is now brought before the Pharisees. The Pharisees, as you know, were deeply committed God followers. They were the guardians of the truth and correct doctrine. They meticulously followed the letter of the law, and they held everyone else to the very same standard. When they saw the healed blind man, they had only one concern. One thing was on their mind. Was it done rightly? Was it performed properly? Was it done in good order and correctly? Were the rules properly followed? 
In Jesus' day, you see, if you were to spit on a rock on Sunday, on Sabbath, that was okay, not a problem. But if you were to spit into the dirt or into the sand, that would make mud. That would mean you are working on Sunday. That was a violation of Sabbath. So you couldn't do that. So to heal, as Jesus healed, by spitting in the dirt and making mud and putting in his eyes, that was considered work. It was prohibited. Therefore, the Pharisees say in their paradigm, somebody who violates the Sabbath, as they said Jesus just did, can't be from God. You see, they evaluated people based on their laws, on their religious beliefs, and on their opinions. There were right ways and wrong ways. It had to be done their way. Since Jesus is breaking the rules, he can't be from God. And like most people do, they believe that God's way was their way. God obviously agrees with them. As we often think, God obviously agrees with us. God is on our side, always on my side. And so as long as the status quo is maintained for these Pharisees, they're good. Life remains safe. They're in charge. Wonderful. But as a result, they became judgmental. They were often dispassionate. As a result, they intimidated and exploited and excluded people in order to maintain their control and to make sure that life went their way, not only for themselves, but for everyone around them. All of those things are in this story. Notice there isn't one person in this entire story that says, wow, it's amazing. You couldn't see, now you can see. That is a miracle, wonderful. Let's all get together and praise God. Doesn't happen. They don't really even care what God is doing. God is not in the equation for them. They are primarily focused on their agenda and the Pharisees' agenda here is to trap Jesus to get him in trouble. Their passion to preserve the system prevented them from seeing God at work. Jesus has just performed an incredible miracle here, and all the Pharisees can say is, it violates the Sabbath. Jesus is messing up their system. And as a result, the Pharisees miss seeing God at work, and they don't join him in his work. Then we get to the community. John turns his attention to all of them. The religious authorities, after interviewing and refusing to believe this young man who was once blind and now sees, interrogate his parents. The man's parents realize that the authorities here really aren't all that interested in what the truth is. These parents, they're not the religious hierarchy. They're not at the top of the social ladder. They're just common, ordinary folks. They're afraid that the consequences are going to be if they don't actually say and do what the Pharisees want them to say and do. And so they decide to keep quiet. Fear keeps them from embracing the changes that God is calling them to make. Confronted by a religious system that lacks love and grace, which seems to have no room for God in their midst, they keep quiet. They sort of take the attitude, so what's going to change anyway? Nothing. 
So why bother to put ourselves in a problematic situation? And that's how paradigms work. On the one hand, they often help us make some sense out of our life. But just as easily, they often keep us from seeing what God is doing. And they can even prevent us from seeing God himself. God loves to just mess with our human-made paradigms and does so frequently, as he does here in this story. We're to the beggar, the healed man. And the scripture says, this beggar was born blind, but now he can see. And he's beginning to see at multiple levels. First of all, there is the physical level. The sight happens. That happens in a moment. He washes the mud from his eyes and he sees. It's an incredible miracle. But it's not the reason for telling the story. Don't miss the real healing. The change from spiritual blindness to spiritual light. You see, while everyone else in this story seems to be asking the wrong questions, while people want to argue and while they want to maintain control and have it their way, the now-seeing beggar begins to see Jesus. To see Jesus for who Jesus really is. We might say, the light of the world begins to dawn in this man's heart. Notice his growing response to Jesus. In verse 11, we read that he calls Jesus a man. That's a start. A few verses later in verse 17, he calls him a prophet. That's an upgrade. In verse 33, he refers to him as a man from God. Another upgrade, if you will. And in verse 35, After Jesus has introduced himself as the son of man, the blind man confesses, Lord, I believe, and he worships him. Spiritual sight. The blind man has come a very significant distance in a very short period of time. Truth is, his spiritual journey has not been without its pitfalls, without its struggles, without its setbacks, and without its trials. The result of his seeing in this case is he gets tossed out of community. He is literally excommunicated from the faith community by religious leaders. A very strong reaction. So here's the lesson. When we encounter Christ in ways that don't fit other people's paradigms or opinions, we can suddenly find ourselves pushed outside of the community. Now we're on the outside and we're looking in. But this man remains faithful to his experience, to his seeing, to his heart, to Jesus, and to the journey. And then, and for me, this is the best part, Jesus goes out to find him. This is the grace right here. Jesus goes to find him. Because you see, only Jesus can break through the blindness. Only Jesus can take the initiative And even though his sight has been restored, he's lost his community. It's a tough trade, but one he was willing to make. Finding ourselves outside of community can often be traumatic. It is often our fear that if we think or say something that is a little bit different than what others might think or say, that people are going to push us away 
So we, like the parents, get silent and hide in a corner. Once this blind man discovered that he could have his eyes opened and see Jesus, it also became a place of divine encounter. You see, this once blind man has now had the opportunity to reflect on what has happened to him. This once blind man has been forced to look into his heart and into his soul. This once blind man has now been with Jesus and aware of it and recognized that Jesus welcomes him into a new community with Jesus. And then Jesus comes along and encourages him just to take a couple of simple steps. After waiting an entire lifetime to see, this once blind man saw something he never imagined. He sees the presence and the power of God. And the only response is the one he takes. He worships him. Jesus says, I have come to give sight to the blind and to make blind those who see. Wow. The blind man knows he's in the first category. He was blind. He knows that. And now he sees. He knows where he's at. But the Pharisees also know that Jesus is talking about them. And he's not talking about them in the first of that sentence. He's talking about them in the second part of that sentence. And they're angry about how Jesus characterized him. The spiritually blind are inevitably the last to know of their blindness. And of course, nobody wants to be labeled spiritually blind. But Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, now we're going to hold you accountable. Your guilt, your sin remains. So here's the irony. Those who admit their blindness, they'll see. Those who think they already see and see perfectly well, they may in fact be blind. Sadly, those who think they see well often refuse to acknowledge their need to see more clearly. And then, ultimately, they fail to see the land. They'll grow weary and tired. They'll grow weary and cold. And they'll never reach the destination. Spiritual discernment begins with the admission that we don't see as clearly as we ought to see begins with the admission that we need other people to do this together with us so we can see a bit more clearly. The fact is, we're often, we're often blind. We're often led by the blind, and we're often leading blind people. The fact is, without divine intervention, the best we'll ever be able to do is simply to stumble around in the darkness. The fact is, we need to first and foremost acknowledge that we too don't see very well. We're blind and cry out, Lord, I want to see the first step to becoming a community that discovers God's will together is for each of us to be intentionally journeying from spiritual blindness to spiritual light and sight. It's especially important for those in leadership, for parents, for teachers, for elders, for staff. It's important for them to be on the same page doing it together. 
You see, if we're not all on this journey together, no matter what process is used, no matter how intelligent our leaders might be, no matter what strategic planning expertise we may have, no matter who your transition pastor is or how successful you have been in, in business, we'll all struggle to be able to see God's land and acknowledge God's hand as it clearly unfolds before us. So what are you doing in your life to pursue spiritual light? Graciously, Jesus promises to come alongside and to walk with us. He says, I have come into this world so that the blind, that's us, can see. Spiritual sight is a gift given to those who seek God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, and with all of their strength. Spiritual discernment is a gift given to those whose eyes are solely focused on Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that we often fail to listen for your voice, fail to look for where you are working and fail to submit to your preferred future. We find it easy to point fingers at others while ignoring our own faults. Father, we long to set our agenda and our passions aside to intentionally come alongside and journey with Jesus and to see more clearly the future that you have prepared for us. Help us to focus solely on Jesus. In his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen.